Um, we are going to get into a message today entitled Imago Day," which some of you, probably most of you, have no idea what that means. Imago Day is a Latin phrase that means the image of God, it means image of God. And this is one of the most important and weighty phrases uh, that we find in the Bible. It is the fact that you and I are made in the image of God. And we're going to find this in Genesis chapter 1, the very uh, act one, scene one of all of history. And it is crucial to us that in our humanity that we might know this phrase and we might know what it really means. What does it practically mean for us to be made in the image of God? How does this work into the gospel? And so we're going to look at this today. Now, before we get into that, I want to take a moment and assure you and remind you that the Bible that we have is one complete narrative. It is one story that is woven through the many books that are contained in it, from Genesis to Revelation, that when you read it, there is a constant theme. And there is connection all the way throughout that this is not simply an encyclopedia to reference. This is not simply a, a story to just learn from, but you and I, this, this is it. God has laid out before us, for us from the beginning to the end, and you and I fit in the narrative of the Bible. And it's important that, that, that we, when we come to the Bible, we see that. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, here are 10 positive things for us to, to add to our life. No, this is a, a, a dramatic, amazing story of redemption in which you and I must find ourselves in. That we see the creation of man to the fall of man, to the redemption of man, and to the final restoration of man. And you and I are involved in that. And we must see ourselves in light of, of the story of the Bible. Does that make sense? And so I want to encourage you with that today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, if you have not already. If you are in Genesis 1, I want you to say word. word. Right, love it. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to not just read verse 26 and 27, which are our theme verses today that we're going to unpack and dive into, but we're actually going to read down to verse 31. So we're going to uh, basically finish off chapter 1. Now, hopefully you're a little bit familiar with chapter 1 of the Bible. Uh, it is uh, no doubt important. Uh, we see the, right in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and then over seven days, we are given this detailed account of what God did. And you and I, mankind comes into play in verse 26. And so this whole message is going to be looking at what it means that you, it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but that God says that he has created you in his image. And we're going to look at what that means. So let's read verses 26 through 31, and then we'll pray. So starting in verse 26, the Bible says here, Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you to man every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Lord, this is your word. This is truth. This is not a fairy tale. This was not something man made up to make them feel better. This is your word that you tell us is eternal. Lord, that even 10,000 years into heaven, your word will be nonetheless true. And so as we look at this, this important doctrine of the Bible, this important truth that we're made in your likeness, that you made us unique from the animals, unique from every other part of creation, that we are the apple of your eye. And so God, we look to you today. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and reveal to us what this means and what this looks like and, and practically in our life, that this wouldn't be something that would be disconnected from life, but that would impact us as we leave this place. And so God, we love you and we look to your word for wisdom, for understanding, for insight, and for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said... Amen. So as we go through this today, the first thing I want to point out to you guys is that you and I are made by God and we are made in his image. And I would think most of you have at least heard either the first part of this or the first and second part of this, that we are created by God. In verses 26 and 27 in our Bible today, of, to which I'm going to refer mostly in this first point today, and I want you to go back and look in your own Bibles at what we had just read, focusing on verse 26 and 27. You see, what is ultimately made abundantly clear in specifically these two verses is that God created man is that God created man. So much so is it made clear that in just two verses, in verses 26 and 27, this concept is repeated four times. That we see in these two verses, God says, let us make man. God created man. God created him. He created them. What do you think the author of Genesis is trying to communicate? that God is creator, and not just of everything, but specifically of you, that God has created you. The fact is repeated and confirmed all throughout scripture. This is a theme woven throughout the entire Bible, but is contrary to the popular belief of our world today, that God is creator and he specifically is your creator. When was the last time you thought about that God created you specifically? Not just he, he threw out this mass amount of people and things just work out and God stepped back. No, when you were in the womb of your mother, God was fashioning you. God was created you, creating you. That the reason you are you is because God is God. That's awesome. I want you to put your ribbon, 
You guys have a ribbon in your Bible? Hopefully you do. If you borrowed one, then you might not. Guys, bring your own Bibles. We want to encourage you. Uh, bring your own Bibles. Um, you know, even, even the ones that you borrow, remember, those were, those were bought with God's money, which everything is God's money, but even more specifically, the worship of people who give and, and of you guys who give. And so we want to take care of those Bibles that we let you borrow. Don't throw them on the ground. And uh, preferably, you would have your own Bible that you can look at. So I want you to put your ribbon in Genesis chapter 1. It's uh, usually not too hard of chapter to find again because it's the first page of the Bible. Um, And I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 139. 139. You know, often I make it easy on you guys and you don't have to flip through your Bibles, but I believe it is important time to time for you to do so. I want you to know your Bible inside and out and know where things are. And Psalm 139 is an awesome, awesome chapter in the Bible. And David here describes so brilliantly, so beautifully the fact of what Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 repeats four times, that God has made us. In Psalm chapter 139, starting in verse 13 and going to verse 16, David here says, he says to God in a prayer, he says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Stop there. Do you see that? He says, you have formed my inward parts. It means to bring into existence. And he says, you have covered me in my mother's womb. This is the concept that that God was involved in knitting. This word is is the idea of of how uh, someone would would knit a blanket together and would have every every part in it, that that you are fashioned by God. You are covered when, when you were in your mother's womb, that God was involved. Then the Bible says, I will... David goes on, he says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. He says, my frame, meaning his body, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Think about that statement. And in your book, they were all... Uh, they all were written, the days fashioned for me when yet there were none of them. David says, God, I praise you. Because when I, when I look at the human body, when I look at my body, though you might look at your body and say, I hate it. You might say, I, I wish it was different. But God says, I created you. When the Bible says that you are fearfully made, it means to do something with extreme intentionality to be careful with every detail that you were fearfully made, that you weren't just thrown together and said, ah, yeah, okay, we'll mix a little of that in, mix a little of this. It's not how you cook at home, okay? Every part of you was carefully designed by God, and God doesn't make junk, and he doesn't mess up in his design. He says you were wonderfully made. This is not just like, oh, it's wonderful. This is the fact that you were... uh, you are distinguished in your personhood, meaning that you are uniquely made, that there is no one else like you. There is no one else with your fingerprint. There is, no, there is not a clone of you. You might have a twin, 
okay? But they are not you. And if you're a twin, then you know, yeah, they ain't me, right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says marvelous are God's work. He's talking about you. You are something extraordinary. You are not just another part of creation. You are God's crown jewel. Uh, what is the what is this phrase? Crowning jewel of his creation. You see, God saw you when you had just begun in your mother's womb. And, and before there was much even substance to who you were, the Bible says God knew you. That before your days were lived, the Bible says that God were, that your days were written in his book. As, as yet none of them were yet lived, God says, I knew every day that you will live. God is in, intimately and acquaintly involved in our lives and our creation. See, this is an important thing. God created a lot of amazing things. He created things that would even appear more magnificent on the surface than a person, than a human, than you. Right, you can go to wonders of the world and maybe you're familiar with space and things that appear, this is amazing, it was all made for you. Didn't you see that in what we had read? God says that the, the animals, the, 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 the earth was made for you and you are the crowning jewel of God's creation. But what makes you unique and distinct from everything else? You see, atheistic science would say that, that None of this was designed, that none of this was created. And, and so therefore, what makes you more special than anything else in our world? You see, what makes you special is what atheistic evolution and science can't tell you. And it's that you were made in the image of God, that you were not just created by God, but that you were made in the image of God. And we find just like four times, it's mentioned that you were created by God in these two verses. You can now flip back to Genesis 1, if you still have your ribbon. Then in these two verses, you will see four different times that you are made in his image. That He says, in our image, according to our likeness, which those are interchangeable terms, okay? In his own image, in the image of God. You see, these things are repeated for emphasis because these is what these things is what God wants us to focus on. This is where we get our title for today, uh, Imago Dei. Okay, that 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 is the image of God, His likeness. But what does this mean? Well, I want you to note down that image and likeness means that it is similar to. But by saying that it is like, right, the likeness part, is, it doesn't mean that you are God, okay? It, it, it is by nature distinct that you are made in his likeness. There are attributes about you, but you are not God. God didn't make a bunch of mini gods, okay? Now, there is the similarities that we're going to look at today. You see, the idea is this, that man reflects the Lord and by default is not the Lord. Hey, you are not God. Some people believe they are God. Okay, you are not God. You are made like God. We are created and we are therefore accountable to God. But don't get me wrong. We are like God, but God is not like us. Does that make sense? Let me give you some illustrations. A Hot Wheels truck. You guys ever play with Hot Wheels when you were younger? Maybe you still do. Maybe you still have some. No shame, no shame. Now, is the Hot Wheels truck is to resemble an actual truck, right? 
But the, the Hot Wheels truck is not the thing that the truck was based off of. The truck is the original design that the Hot Wheels was based off of, right? Or a model airplane. A model airplane is based upon an actual airplane. That the model airplane, yes, is like the, the, the big airplane, but there is the original design or a portrait to a person. Right? The portrait was created because of the person. You, in a sense, are the portrait that God has created of himself. You see, the model is like the original, but the original is not like the model. That makes sense? It's very important for us to understand. Short and simple, the fact that we are made in the image of God, when something is an image of something else, the whole fact of it is that the image is supposed to reflect the actual thing, okay? And you and I, in our lives, in the fact that we are made in God's image, we reflect him. You see, a statue is made as an image for you to think about the reality. Think about the Lincoln Memorial. Have you guys ever been there? When you go there, what is the point of that ginormous Abraham Lincoln sitting on the chair? When you see the statue, when you see the image, you are to think of the reality, right? You are to think of who Abraham Lincoln was. What is he like? What was he like? What did he do? Well, in a similar fashion, you and I are that in our world. You see, the image and likeness is what distinguishes man from animals. It is out of this that God gives us dominion over other creatures that God has made and the earth that he has made. We are altogether different and unique from every other creation because you and I were made in the image and the likeness of God. But what does this look like that we are made in the image of God, in his likeness, like practically? Like what kind of things do we reflect of God? Well, Jesus says in John 4.24 that God is spirit. And so he was conveying the idea there that God is not contained in the physical body. We know that Jesus took on a human body, but God is not contained in a human body. So we know it mainly doesn't have to do with how you physically look. However, I do think there are some interesting designs that man has that reflect the nature and character of God. For example, I don't think this is the emphasis, but I think it's interesting to think about. We have eyes that can see, right? Well, the Bible tells us that God sees. We have ears that can hear. The Bible tells us that God hears. We have a mouth that can speak, communicate language. The Bible tells us that God speaks. We have a mind to be able to think and, and logical thought and reasoning and making decisions. The Bible tells us that God has thoughts. However, there is so much more than just the way that we are constructed physically, but it is who we are internally. A lot of people over the years have tried to uh, really narrow down and define what does it mean? What is it, you know, what is the three things that, that, that define that we're made in the image of God? I think this is something that, that we're going to keep learning about even, even into eternity. Uh, but there are three things that you can write down that help me kind of understand. Some break it down in this way, that we are made to resemble God, number one, in, uh, in our uh, mentality or mentally. The fact that you are able, 
and so much different than an animal, we are able to think rationally and logically with the ability to choose. And this reflects God's intellect. The fact that you and I, and something that's so different about you and I is that we have the ability to create. Well, think about what we just read. God is a creator. The fact that we have freedom of thought and choice. You see, I'd I'd also put under this category uh, what you could describe as, as our personality, our uniqueness, our ability to have a will and desire, you see, reflects that the, the very nature of who God is. Number one, mentally. Second thing is morally. Morally, that we are made in God's image. You see, Adam and Eve, when God had originally designed them and created them, they were created in perfection. And God saw, even we read in verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis, that it was very good. Now, yet even in our sinful state, we still have what you could call a moral compass within us, knowing right from wrong. This is something that distinguishes humans from all other creations is that you and I have this morality about us. You see, the Bible teaches that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. God has put what some people want to call a God-shaped hole in man, and he has revealed himself to each person. That even the most uh, gnarliest of tribes in the you know, jungles, there is still a sense of morality, and that comes from God, and it shows that we're made in God's image. The third thing that you could put down is, is that we're made in God's image in the sense of uh, socially or relationally. You and I are very relational beings. And Eden, when God created the Garden of Eden, it was all about relationship. It was all about relationship, that God walked in the coolness of the garden, the Bible says, with Adam and Eve. That even for Adam, he, God recognized it's not good that man should be alone. And so we made Eve, and it was about relation. It was about relationship, and we know that God, even in these verses, it shows us that, that there was a relationship even before creation, and it was a relationship of the Trinity. That's why he says, let us make man in our image. You see, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. Eve was created, and this reflects the relationship nature of who God is. And you and I are image bearers of God. And the reality is, in so much of what we do, day-to-day things that we take for granted, resembles and reflects our maker. When someone paints a painting, you are reflecting the creator, even if you don't realize it. That when someone gets married and the bell is rung and and there's that kiss and there's that presentation of, of this couple coming together, it is a mark that they are made in the image of God. The ability to think, the ability to say what is right and wrong. When you boil this all down, what is the point? What does it matter that we're made in the image of God It matters that this, that human beings being made in the image and likeness of God means that we have an intrinsic worth, which means it goes beyond any decision that is made. It's internal. It is a fact and a foundation, and that human life is valuable, which means you, everyone look at me, 
you have value, not based upon what you do, but based upon that you are a created human by God. And because God has put his image on you, you have worth, you have value, you have dignity, whether you feel like it or not. And this is the fact of the Bible. As I mentioned before, atheistic opinion of science without God, there's no basis for human value. You see, the only reason that we believe human life is valuable according to the Bible is because that we're made in the image of God, that you and I are image bearers of God. But when you take that out, when you throw this out and you look at our world, then why are you more important than my pet dog, Sam? I don't have a pet dog, Sam. But exactly, it's because we, but they have brains too. The argument from an atheistic side, there, there's, you are not more important. We're just a bunch of cells and it's, it's just a, you see, the value of human life comes from the biblical understanding and foundation that we are made in the image of God. This is why you can note it down. God puts forth later on in Genesis 9 verse 6, he tells Noah, he says this, he, he gives this law. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why, why is murder such a big deal? Why does God say that if a life is taken, then that life should be taken? Why is the most severe punishment for this? It's because life is valuable because we are made in the image of God. Make sense? I want to show you guys a video to help further illustrate this point. If you've not heard, the Bible Project is an uh, awesome organization. There, I don't agree with everything. However, they have a lot of great videos that they put out. I've shown you some before about different words. Uh, this one is about uh, and has some great insights into what it means that we're made in the image of God. Okay, so it's about six minutes, but it will keep your attention. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called tselem, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite 
kings mm. is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. Gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new, uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. Pretty cool, right? It's a good video. You can check it out. You can go to bibleproject.com, YouTube. They have their videos on there. You just type in image of God. Uh, This is huge. This is important. Uh, And as you notice uh, what the, you know, um, what the video 
talked about is that ultimately Adam and Eve's sin, it ruined the image of God. Did not destroy, but certainly scarred and marred the image of God in man. You see, it's clear from scripture that we are created by God and that we are made in his image, but where does that leave us today? You see, if you continue reading in Genesis, you get to chapter three, and there you find Adam and Eve disobey God, and that is when sin and death enters the world. And, you know, sin, though, did not completely destroy. When I say ruin, it doesn't mean there's no hope, but the hope is found in Jesus. It's badly ruined it in many ways. And though we are all image bearers of God, that has become foggy. It has become marred. And in some, the image or likeness of God uh, is seen better. It is more clear in others. Uh, but even for those that it's, that image is so foggy, so marred, even in them, the Bible says that they are still made in the image of God. The most evil people, the people that have disobeyed God the most, even in them, there is still an intrinsic worth and value that goes above any decision that has been made. And James brings this up in James 3, 9. Uh, he brings this up that you and I, though we have sin and we sin against God and we sin against one another, we are still image bearers. And he talks about the dangers of, of cursing other men, not just like curse words, but like cursing them and you know, wishing that someone would die. He says, with it, we bless our God with our tongue and father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in the, notice the similitude of God, the likeness that we've been made in his image. That's exactly what that means. You see, one of the reasons that God takes such serious offense in the Bible when you treat others badly. You might think it's no big deal, but God sees that one image bearer hurting and destroying the image bearer of someone else. And you see, it is hypocritical to bless God and treat men badly because God says, no, how could you treat me well, but then act that way towards my creation and those in whom I've put my image on. You see, it's, God takes it personal there. But we find out that here, that though messed up by sin, man is nonetheless, even today, made in the image of God. Romans chapter five, verse 12, I want you to note it down. That death entered that, the world through that disobedience of Adam and Eve, the first image bearers. Romans 5.12 says that therefore just as through one man uh, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, so it makes it pretty clear there that, that this was a progression that you and I are born into a sin nature, yet we do still choose to sin. It's not, it's not just all on Adam and Eve. Uh, it is on you and it is on me. And so God's image has become distorted and twisted. That when you look at people now, at times it's hard to see that fact. It's hard to see that image. You see, man has used what God has given him for his own glory rather than God's glory. Man has disregarded God as creator and the source of all and have worshiped the creation rather than the creator. You see, the further man gets away from this truth that 
God is creator and that we are made in his image, the greater evils take place. This is why so many, uh, this is the root and the source of so many of our world's evils is because there's not a foundational truth that every man and every woman is made in the image of God. Think about it. Think about the mass genocides that's happened in the, in the last couple hundred years. People and men like Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin and Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler who have killed millions and millions and millions of people. How could someone do that? It's because they get away from the foundational truth that every man and every woman is made in the image of God. How is this even possible? The further you get from it, the worse things get. Think about abortion. And this is happening in our country right now. The intrinsic value and worth of every life as an image bearer. This is why we take it so seriously. This is why this abortion issue is, what's the big deal? It's because it is a life. We read in Psalm 139 that God is involved in the knitting and the weaving of the, of the substance of a person from the youngest age in the, in the womb of a mother. And so we are desiring to protect that as a church, as Christians, and we should because God cares about every single life. Think about racism. Uh, which, by the way, racism makes no sense scientifically or biblically because we are all one race, which is the human race, the Bible describes, uh, and we all come from one blood. But anyway, think about racism. It is the fact that, that one human would look down upon another as being less than, but God says there is equal value uh, in every single person. How does someone get to the point where they decide to take their own life or to hurt their body? Because they've gotten away from the fact that God has created them in his image, that they are invaluable and irreplaceable. Are you hearing me this morning? You are valuable and irreplaceable, irreplaceable. Why does someone get to the point, and which is happening more and more in our culture, as we get away from God, why would someone desire to change their gender? It's because they are so lost and confused as who they are because they don't know that God has created them as they should be intentionally and specifically in his image and they are as they should be because it was God designed. Notice in our two verses in Genesis 1 that it had to do with dominion, rule, Rain to take care of our earth, to take care and, and to cultivate and all kinds of different things. But then also it had to do with gender. He said, I've created them in my image, man and female. God knew what he was doing when he created you. Don't ever question it. You see, I believe this is the greatest issue of our world, that we live in a world of lost and confused people trying to find their identity in something other than who God created them to be. And maybe for some of you, that's you today. You don't know who you are. And you're trying to figure that out. Well, I want to tell you who you are in Jesus. You see, for you today as junior high students, do you know your worth and value? Just think about it for a moment. Do you realize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you recognize that you are an image bearer of God Almighty and God cares for you more than anything? 
but we need to realize that though we have this worth and value and we are image bearers of God, that it is sin that ruins and scars that image of God in us. And so today, where is your identity? Who, who are you? Some of you are trying to figure that out. And I want to communicate to you today, number one, okay, that you have been created and made in the image of God. Number two, what we just looked at, that, God, that sin has ruined and scarred this image of God in you. Yet thirdly and finally, that Christ restores the image of God in you. You want to find out who you are? You will only find that answer in Jesus. You will find it in nothing else. Because in Jesus, he restores what should have always been in you. That it is in Jesus that that image of God is repaired. That the image of God is brought back and it is renovated. Remember what we first talked about, how the Bible is one complete story and narrative from the front to back. And it all points to Jesus. And it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that the full circle is brought together. Think of the genius of who God is. Think about it, that, that, that man was made in God's image. But then we see act, act two, when, when sin enters and, and, and distorts and twists what God had originally designed. But it is in the man Christ Jesus that brings us back, that restores. This is, this is big. This is the gospel, that it is in Christ that we have the renovation of the, of the image of God restored in us. I want you to think, because this was blowing my mind as I was meditating on this. The Bible describes that Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, that he is the image of God. We saw that in our little video. That, that God came in the, in, the, in the form of a man, and the Bible says that he is the perfect, unadulterated, uh, uh, not distorted, not twisted, the correct image of who God is. That he is the image of the invisible God. And then in Hebrews 1.3, we are told that Jesus, being in the brightness of his glory, which means, this is really cool, it means uh, when it says the brightness of his glory, it means who, the grandeur of who God is. It describes here the brightness, it means uh, how um, a beam of light would come from a light source or how the rays from the sun, that, that Jesus is that, is the brightness or the, is the rays of, of God's light. And that in him, he is the express image of his person. I don't want you to miss this. Do you see where it says the express image of his person? That word express, it means that he is the exact image. That you could place in Hebrews 1.3, the word exact, that he is the exact image of who God is without sin. This is awesome. And the Bible tells us that through our faith and Jesus as the image of the invisible God, that we are now new creations in Christ. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he is a new creation. Do you guys see that? New creation. It doesn't mean you become a new person in the sense that you're not you. You see, a better term for the term new creation is that you are a renewed creation. 
You are restored to what God has always, always desired for you to be. Now, for us, we know that this is a process, that though we are new creations, that we are still in process. But you see, in Christ, we now bear the image of God as we should. And there is a coming back. There is a restoration in our lives. It's awesome. Think about, think about some of these verses that maybe you've heard before. Romans 8, 29, that says that you and I are to be conformed. It means molded or shaped into the image of Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that God is, is reshaping and remolding what, what sin has messed up. God is putting back together. God is putting the pieces back together. This is the gospel. And guys, this is why our world needs the gospel. Because our world looks to other things when this is the only thing that will make them whole. This is the only thing that will bring you back to what you should be that sin has taken away. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're again told this great truth, but I like this verse because it's, uh, it's reassuring to me. Because this verse describes that this, this image that is being restored in us is a process. That transformation into the image of, who, of, of God, of who he wants us to be, is a process. He says, but we, all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are mirroring the Lord. And we are being transformed into the same, everyone say image, image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It won't be till heaven that you and I will once again or not once again, but for the first time, reflect the image of God as we should. But for now, Paul exhorts us to put on the new or the renewed, the restored man and woman of who we are in Jesus. Check out Colossians 3.10. Again, we see this word image. It's a old, remember we read Genesis 1. That's Old Testament. But you see the, the theme of the Bible is consistent. It is unified. And you see then in verse 26, uh, sorry, in verse 10 of Colossians 3, this brought up again, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Is this connecting? Are you guys getting this? I, I hope you see the full picture of the Bible from, end, from beginning to end because it is crucial that the gospel is more than just receiving Jesus into your heart. It is the fact that, that God is restoring his image in you. And I've experienced this. I've experienced this where I know that when I was created, just like you, I was made in the image of God. But sin in my life has scarred that and has marred that and has ruined that. And for me, when I was, my time in junior high, uh, Rather than having, letting God's spirit, like this verse says, and putting on that new man, uh, rather than letting God's restoration happen in my life, I was running further into sin. And the further I got into sin, the farther away I got from who I was. You see, though you give your life to Jesus, that the Bible says that when you are willing to lose your life, meaning give over your life, the Bible says, Jesus says, you will find it. And for me, I experienced that when I truly started following Christ and I, and I put away my sin and I decided I want God's restoration and transformation in my life, 
that I really began to find out who I was. I began to find my identity in Jesus, not in the things of the world. And, and that was truly who I was, not of who I was when I was just embracing sin. I was losing that, that image of God in me was being lost. But you see, when you follow Jesus, that image of, of who God desires you to be begins to be restored. It's a process of transform transformation. And you see, our identity must be found in Jesus. And for a lot of you, you're trying to figure out who, who are you? What are you going to be about? What's your life going to be about? I want to encourage you to make it about Jesus because it's, it's not worth finding any other way because there's not. It'll only leave you broken and scarred. You know, the late, there's a, uh, a Christian apologist who just recently died. His name's Ravi Zacharias. I'm not sure if you know who he is. Uh, and he had this great insight on this passage. You guys ever heard that passage when uh, in Luke chapter 20, when the Pharisees send spies to Jesus to ask him about paying taxes? You guys ever familiar with that? There's this amazing story in Luke 20 where these, these spies go that they, the Bible says that they pretended to be righteous, genuine, and they ask him, they ask Jesus, say, Jesus, is it lawful for, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay our taxes to the government, the Roman government? But the Bible says that Jesus perceived the craftiness of their hearts and he asked them, why, why are they testing him? And so Jesus eventually gets to the answer of the question. He tells them to find him a denarius. The equivalent would be, uh, find me a quarter, right? And at that time, the denarius uh, would have an image of Caesar. It would have in, his inscription, inscription on it. And so there, Jesus says, well, whose image or inscription is on the denarius? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And so Jesus has the genius quotable line of render therefore to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and the things that are God's to, to, to God. The whole idea was, yes, you got to pay your taxes. But what Ravi Zacharias points out in this passage is that we can see how disingenuine the asker, the questioner was, because what question do you think the person should have asked after that. Just like Jesus said, whose inscription is on the denarius, you see, the question should have been, whose image is on you? Of, of, of what, what is God's? If Caesar's, okay, we should pay taxes, but whose is God's? Where is God's inscription? Where is his image? It is on you, that you are an image bearer of God. And so as we close, I want to give you an illustration, all right, that helps kind of, I think, bring it all together. There is a great hero of the faith from the fourth century, if you know how long ago that was, and his name was uh, Anna, Anna, mm, I had it later, I had it earlier, I mean, Athensasius or something like that, okay? He's got a gnarly name. And uh, History tells it that he had a great story that, that told this truth of how Christ is the image of God and how he restored the image of God to humanity. And, and it kind of went like this. He, he said that Adam was like a beautiful portrait painting. And it's as if God 
uh, took his um, brush and began to paint a portrait of himself, and it was drawn. And what happened at the fall was that that portrait was utterly wrecked, that Adam was no longer anything like God. He had become vicious, selfish, and horribly unholy. And so that image and that painting was ruined, right? So you see the creation, you see the downfall. And so the question was, then how could this precious portrait be restored? And the problem was, was that there was no one, nobody who knew what the portrait once looked like. They couldn't restore it. To restore it, you had to know God. You had to know what he's like. Otherwise, you could never know what the image of God should look like. There was only one hope. The original subject of the portrait had to come. And in his likeness, redrawn on the canvas of humanity, that only the one whose likeness was originally drawn on Adam could restore and renew it. And so the image of God himself came. He took humanity to renew his image in it. He came and showed us the image of God in flesh. And so in Christ alone could humanity be restored, that only he, the image of God himself, could in a sense rehumanize us, could bring us back to what God had originally designed. And no wonder our world is the way that it is. Because with the image of God ruined in Adam, sinners, they don't know what they are for. People don't know why, why they are here. People in life without Christ, they are looking for purpose. And so they, they seek to, to mend themselves. They seek to, to try to, they, they know that they're broken. And so they try to fill their lives with other things. But yet they don't know what they should look like because the image of God has been destroyed in them. You see, it is only in Jesus that we are brought back. Does that make sense? It's huge. And so today as we close, and Elizabeth, if you're back there, you can come out and you can hit the lights. Guys, I want you to realize and know that, that God has created and fashioned you, that he has made you in his image and likeness that you have value and worth. And I'm not just saying this as, oh, that's just what you're supposed to say. No, from the Bible, from God himself, that you are the crown jewel of his creation. You specifically, whether you feel like it or not. And, and it is sin that distorts our purpose and our image of God in us. And our sin takes us further from the truth of who we are. You want to find who you are and why you're here and your purpose? It is found in the gospel because it is only in Christ that God's image is repaired and restored, that we have been created in his image. And it is in Christ that we have that ultimate picture of what that looks like. And so the question today is, are we living a life that looks like Jesus? He's that example, right? He's the image of God. He is our pattern. He is to, to what we are to live our life because in that we find true purpose and fulfillment because we are fulfilling what God has created us to do and that is to live like Jesus. You see, God's main work in your life is to make you look like Jesus. Not physically, right? It's not that girls, you're gonna start growing a beard. Okay? But it's beginning to look like who Jesus was and what he did when he was here. 
that, that, that heart of humility and serving and compassion. You see, when we begin to live like Jesus, we begin to live like who we should be. And it's an awesome thing. So I want to encourage you today, if you, maybe you're just feeling lost in life, and you're feeling like, I just don't know who I am, you will not find who you are in the things of this world. You might have plans for what God wants for you in the future of, oh, I want to I be this or do that. Do it, but do it in Jesus. Do it in who he's made you to be. You will only find fulfillment and satisfaction in him because that's how God made it. The Bible says that God has put eternity in your hearts. And if your pursuit in life, if your goal is not him, then what are you living for? What's the, what's the point of this whole thing? Remember, from, from the person that doesn't believe in God, there's, there's no value to you. But God says, I have placed value and worth and dignity. And so you, you run to Jesus today, all right? Remember, as image bearers of God, this is, what, this is the message that we are to live and to preach. Does it mean I got to get into a pulpit? No, you got to tell people about it, though. You got to tell people when, when people are broken and lost, you got to tell them about Jesus because it's in that that they are repaired. It's in that that they are healed. It's awesome. God, we come before you and, and we thank you that just for you, God, we thank you that you have created us and not left us alone. Lord, that the, the people that we are, are is because of, of the God that you are. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that maybe they've been struggling with their self-worth, that they've been looking at their actions and they've been getting down on themselves because they know there's something more, that they feel broken inside. Lord, today, would you remind them of their worth and their value? So much so that that is why Jesus, you came down, is because of the value that you put on our lives. And so, Lord, we run to you today. Lord, you are, as we sang earlier, our rescue. You are the one who restores us and repairs us. And God, we confess to you today that we are broken people and we need you. We need the gospel. We need your forgiveness. We need your work in our life. And Lord, we thank you that you've desired to use us as ambassadors of Christ that we are your representatives to a lost and broken world to point them to Jesus, to point them to the image of God who has come for them. Lord, would you use us today for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen.